Lord, we pray for the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, who alone can take the written word of God and write it on our hearts. Change us, O Lord. Grant us wisdom and insight and understanding. And help me, Lord, to be clear and concise and compelling and practical. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, you may recall that last Lord's Day, we had the same title. And the title was, All This I Will Give You. And that was what Satan said to Jesus when he tempted him. Now, it's very important as we review for a moment. Satan is offering to Jesus what only God the Father can give. And we see something here that's very important. There is not one square inch of life in this world that is not to be under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's important that we understand that there are not two kingdoms, the religious kingdom and the secular kingdom, or the church and the state, but that every sphere of life is to be under the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for not crying, Iona. Every sphere. So the deal is this, whether it is the church or the home, whether it is the business or the state, every sphere of life will be under one of two kingdoms, the kingdom of Satan or the kingdom of Christ. That's what we've got to remember. And so as we look here, we see that God the Father promised his son exactly what Satan offered Jesus. But we notice, first of all, whom it is that we must serve and from whom we must receive. It is God the Father. We see this here. And we see that in verse 9. When Christ was obedient to the Father, the Father exalted him, nine, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Every scientist in the whole wide world, whether biology or geology or botany or psychology, every scientist in the world, should submit himself or herself to the Lord Jesus Christ, just as every husband, every wife, every child, every business, that at the name of Jesus, he says, every knee should bow. And notice, in heaven and earth and under the earth. And what does that mean? It means that Satan himself, very reluctantly, not from his heart at all, but in great animosity, hatred, and bitterness, even Satan himself will bow his knees to the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to God. Hallelujah. That will happen. And notice several things here. And he, and then going on again in verse 11, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What does that mean? It means that Satan forced on bended knee with great malignity, hatred, and a cancer in his heart of hearts is going to confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. Wow. And he might say it just that way. 
It won't be of pleasure to him. It won't be an open confession. It won't be something he wants to say, but he's going to say it. He's going to be forced to say it because every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I want us to see a couple of things here before we go and look at two Psalms that are very important. First of all, you see here in verse 6, who being in very nature God, and the Greek language is very specific, that everything that God is, Jesus was. Everything that God is, Jesus was. And then he says, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now, you get a picture there of Adam and Eve, don't you? God said, don't reach and grab for the tree, for fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because when you do it, dying you will die. And Adam disobeyed God. He reached out. And what was his desire? What Satan promised Adam and Eve. You will be as gods. Now, the thing you have to see is that Jesus is God. And so it wasn't something that wasn't his. It was his by virtue of who he is. That he is God Almighty. But he didn't hold on to the prerogatives and privileges of being God. But verse 7, he made himself nothing. I like that. He made himself of nothing. The King James Version says he made himself of no reputation. We might translate it, he made himself of no account. The Greek word there, kanao, literally means emptied himself. But the reason our translators did not translate it that way is because there can be confusion. Jesus did not empty himself of being God. Rather, he added to his divine nature a human nature. And we see that very clearly in the second clause of verse 7. Taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now what we need to understand is, God became something that he had never been. The eternal son of the eternal God, whose name, as with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, is Yahweh, some mistransliterated as Jehovah, which is not what it is. That's simply using the memory device that the Jewish rabbis created to pronounce Hebrew words, putting the words for the substitute, Adonai, or Elohim, the vowels, underneath the four letters, which would be Y-H-W-H. And so Jesus' name has always been, as God the Father's name has always been, as God the Holy Spirit's name has always been Yahweh. But when he became a man, a real human being, just like each of you and me, except for one thing, he never sinned. He didn't have a sinful human nature. When he added humanity to his divine nature... What happened? Then God exalted him, verse 9, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. What is the name above every name? 
Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Adolf Hitler, Joe Stalin, Mao Zedong? What is the name above every name? What is the greatest name in human history that any human being has ever had? It's Jesus, which is exactly the, the, the Hebrew word is Yehoshua or Yeshua, which is identical to the word Joshua, the son of Nun. The Lord is salvation. So the name that is above every name is Jesus. And that is not God's name in eternity. It is the name of the God-man who, without ceasing to be God, became a true human being like you and me. And this is very important now as we look back at three passages of Scripture. First, let's turn to the left to Romans chapter 1, and then we'll see the two Psalms. Romans chapter 1. And notice here... As Paul, in verse 1, addressing the Christians in Rome, and then he talks about the gospel in verse 2, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his Son, who, as to his human nature, was a descendant of David, and who, through the Spirit of holiness, was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I want to make a comment on this. When the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died in his human nature, which had omnipotent eternal effect. He died in his human nature. He is descended from David. But notice here who through the Spirit, verse 4, of holiness was set apart as the Son of God with power. What is it that's there? In ancient times, people regarded the king as a son of the God of that nation. It's very important. In ancient times... People regarded a king as a son of the God of that nation. Now, what we have here is very interesting, and we'll see it corroborated as we look at two Psalms. Jesus, by his resurrection from the dead, experiences an investiture, a coronation, if you will. Crown him with many crowns. The Lord Jesus Christ, by his resurrection from the dead, is crowned with many crowns. And he's crowned to be Lord of all. In other words, as the ancient kings of Israel were declared to be the son of Yahweh, not in a literal way, but as the sense of submission to the God of the, of, the, of the Jewish people. So the Lord Jesus Christ, in his human nature, is crowned King of kings and Lord of lords by his resurrection from the dead. He's set apart not as the Son of God. He's set apart as the Son of God with power. And this is very parallel to what Jesus said in Matthew 28. All power, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. In other words, what Paul is saying in Romans 1, and this may sound confusing because we're not used to thinking it this way. He's always been the eternal Son of God. 
in his divine nature, but in his human nature. He experiences coronation as the Son of God in power. Now, we're going to see how that interpretation that I've shared with you is borne out in two Psalms. First, turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 110. Psalm 110, which is the most quoted passage from the Old Testament in the New Testament. So, therefore, it must be pretty important. Psalm 110. And you will find this on page 951. Now, notice what we have here. This Psalm of David. You remember that Jesus asked his attackers, Who is the Messiah? So, well, he's, he's the son of David. Of course, everybody knows that. And then they, Jesus asked them a question. Well, if he's the son of David, how can he be David's Lord? How can he be David's master? So notice here, Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord. Now again, when you see the word Lord in all caps, that's standing for God's proper name. I have a proper name. It's Robert. And God has a proper name. It's Yahweh. And so he says here, Yahweh says to my Lord. Who is the Lord there? That is my master, my boss, Hephe. And so who is who is David's boss? Who is his authority? Who is it under whom King David served? And here it is right here. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool to your feet. And this is very important. So who is in view here? Is God the Father representing the entire Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, speaks to the one who is both truly God and truly human in one person, the eternal Son of God, who is also the Son of David. But because of who he really is, he's David's boss, his master, his Lord, Hephe. He says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Who are Christ's enemies? I want us to think of this. It's so important. Again, they're not two kingdoms. A religious kingdom and a non-religious kingdom. Every kingdom on earth is religious. Whether home, state, university, church, or state. Every institution is religious. The question is, what religion? And that religion is either bowing its knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, the Messiah, the Lord of David, or they are His enemies. And this is vital to understand. Till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now notice verse 2. Yahweh will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. And look at verse 3 and think about the day of Pentecost. Your troops will be willing on the day of battle, arrayed in holy majesty from the womb of the dawn. You will receive, uh, womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. And notice the Messiah of Israel, the eternal son of the eternal God, who is David's master, is also the great priest. 
Because his priesthood supersedes all other priesthoods throughout the world. Not only the phony priest of the Samaritans, but every priesthood of Judea. There is no priesthood now except that which is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, Yahweh has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And then he says, the Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead, crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook beside the ways. Therefore... He will lift up his head. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal son of the eternal God, who is biologically descended from David, both through his adopted father, Joseph, and through his literal mother, Mary. He is prophet, priest, and king. And that's what Psalm 110 is about. And that question Jesus asked his interlocutors was what baffled them. They couldn't answer the question because they didn't understand that the Messiah of Israel would be God Almighty in human flesh and would rule and reign over all of his enemies till he conquered every last one. Now turn with me to Psalm 2. This is very important. Psalm 2. And you'll find this on page 844. Look at what he says here. And I want you to think about it in terms of modern America and modern Europe. Modern Asia, modern Africa, modern South America, Australia, all of the continents and every island. And once you see here in verse 1, why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot vanity? What's he talking about? He's talking about every authority in human life that is not submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. How does God regard them? He regards them as nations conspiring and peoples plotting vanity. Then he says in verse 2, The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against Yahweh and his Messiah saying, let us break their chains asunder. Uh, let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. Now, you know that the early church was a Bible church. And you know that when they were persecuted, they came back. When they suffered for the cause of Christ, they came back. And they quoted from this psalm as they appealed to God for help and deliverance. Let me tell you, you've got enemies that would like to wipe you out and wipe you off the face of the earth. Never forget that. There is no neutrality. And what we see here, the kings of the earth, and we see that in one way represented in King Herod, the rulers represented in Pontius Pilate, and the peoples, the people of Israel, and the pagans who were along with them gathered together to kill God. What happened at the cross? Man did the most despicable and heinous act in all of human history. Man killed God in his human nature. 
Never forget, it's his human nature. We need to understand that we are dealing with a whole Christ, a whole Messiah, a whole Jesus, who is true God and true man. That's why we can say that the Messiah, who is truly God, was born of the Blessed Virgin Mary. That's why it's legitimate to refer to her in Latin as the Mater Dei, or in Greek as the Theotokos, the God-bearer, because Mary was the instrument God used to bring his eternal son into the world who is both truly God and truly human in his one person. Now, I'm hitting a lot of things I've hit before, but with a different twist. So we need to understand that when Jesus was crucified, man in all his wickedness, in every sphere of life, raises his fist at God and says, we will not have you rule over us. We're going to kill you. And so acting in malice with all the demons of hell and Satan himself, man killed God in his human nature on the cross. But you see that rebellion and hatred in verse 3. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. What does that mean? That means that unsaved people, people who have never been born again, people who have never been converted, regard God's standards of life as chains and fetters. Does God have something to say about marriage? Yes, he does. What does modern man say about it? That's a chain, that's a fetter. I don't want it. I hate that God and I hate his rules and standards. So modern man breaks these chains and cords asunder. He won't have that God to rule over him. The modern state. Look at the states of Europe. And what do they do? They despise the Christ they once acknowledged. Once Constantine had bowed his knees to the Son of God, issuing the Edict of Toleration in 313, the Edict of Milan, and then recognizing the Lord Jesus Christ as the king and head of the empire. But now, Europe knows nothing of this Christ, nor does Britain which is running fast as they can to get away from this. And what about the United States? Think about those hellish decisions of the Warren Court when prayer was outlawed in terms of being read in the public schools in 1962 in Schenck versus Abington Township. And then when New York trying to placate every religion, wrote a prayer. The Supreme Court in 61, uh, 63 outlawed prayer in the public schools. And it's amazing. I got into a conflict in central Louisiana over this because I took a strong stand for prayer in school. And I was mocked and ridiculed. And that's where my name came from. Because I stood up in a school board meeting and said, we should continue to allow children to pray in schools. And I got a nickname, Crazy Bob, from that. I wear it as a title of honor. Because when you stand for truth, when you stand for God, the world will think you're crazy. But I'm going to tell you, only crazy people are going to be saved on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd rather be a fool for Christ than Satan's fool. That's important. 
We must witness the Lord Jesus Christ in every sphere of life, in homes, in churches, in the state, in the school system. We have to fly under the radar, of course. We need to do what we do, witnessing for Christ, surreptitiously. We're not always called to stand on the street corner and preach Christ. We can do according to our sphere of influence and calling in Christ. We sometimes have to not let our left hand know what our right hand is doing. But the important thing is recognizing the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice God's response to all of this in verse 4. When governments, such as our apostate government, passes laws to destroy biblical marriage, which is between a man and a woman, when the state passes laws to push it aside, what's God's reaction? His reaction, oh, no, why are they doing this? Look at his reaction in verse 4. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have instilled my king on Zion, my holy hill. And that's what's important. The Lord Jesus Christ in Zion itself rose from the dead and was established as the Son of God with power, the Messiah. And the true Zion is now at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And Christ still rules from heaven over every sphere of human life. Notice what he says. And this is, this is what the Messiah says in verse 7. I will proclaim the decree of Yahweh. He said to me, you're my son. Today I've become your father. What's he saying? He's speaking now not of the incarnation of Jesus, who has always been God. He is speaking of Jesus' investiture, his coronation, his being crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. And you remember in the ancient world, a son of the God was the head of the state. And he says, today I've become your father. In other words, when Christ rose from the dead, he was declared to be not the Son of God, but the Son of God with power. Because you see, Jesus received power when he was raised from the dead. And the power that he received when he was raised from the dead is a power he exercises in 2022 over kings, presidents, school boards, fathers and mothers, over science and medical clinics and hospitals because he is king of kings and lord of lords. Now notice what he says in verse 8 because this ties it all together. Satan said as he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory, what he was doing was attempting to cast a glamour on Jesus, showing him a mirage. I'll give you all this. And never forget, Satan is a liar and the father of liars, and he's a murderer. What he was offering Jesus, he couldn't give. It wasn't his to give because Satan is not over this world, 
by divine appointment. Satan found a vacant house when Adam and Eve sinned. And just like the methods that live out where I live, who move into vacant houses and live there, Satan, like a methhead, moved into this world to become its god. And see, notice, Satan offers Jesus what God the Father offers Jesus. Verse 8, ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, and the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Think about it for a moment. The Lord Jesus Christ was invested experienced his investiture, experienced his coronation by his resurrection from the dead when he was declared to be Son of God with power. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Now you see the fierceness of his rule. Christ will have dominion from sea to sea. He will have dominion from pole to pole. There will not be one where inch of property that will not be under the control of the Lord Jesus Christ because he's entitled to it. And anyone who denies that is a thief and a robber and a liar seeking to dethrone God and his Christ. Notice the words of the psalmist in verse 10. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. This isn't separation of church and state. This is separation of every sphere from Christ and his authority. He says, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. I speak to Donald Trump. You're a rebel and you need to bow your knees to the Lord Jesus Christ. I speak to Joe Biden. You're a rebel and you need to bow your knees to the Lord Jesus Christ. I speak to King Charles III. You are a rebel and you need to bow your knees to the Lord Jesus Christ. I speak to Vladimir Zelensky and Vladimir Putin. You are rebels. You need to bow your knees to the Lord Jesus Christ and to Chairman Xi of China. You're a rebel and you need to bow your knees to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you don't, let's read further. He says, verse 11, serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. That word translated rejoice is a word that means shriek in ecstasy. And the shrieking with ecstasy is to be combined with a trembling in fear of our awesome God. Because our God is an awesome, fearful God. And notice what he says. Verse 12. Kiss the Son. The Aramaic word used there is the word son. Some have tried to say it means kiss his feet. But it means kiss the Son. And the whole context of the entire psalm is it's about the Son of God who became a true human being just like you and me and was given the name above all names, Jesus. Now notice what he says, lest he be angry. One of the most curious and jarring phrases in the entire book of Revelation is where the kings of the earth, where fathers and mothers where pastors and elders, where priests, school board members, scientists, medical doctors, hospital boards, 
Discover what? The wrath of the Lamb. What an amazing, jarring, putting those two words in juxtaposition. The wrath of the Lamb. Hide us from him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Notice he says, kiss the son lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so those words I throw back to you. We'll, God willing, continue this in two weeks. What is the difference in kingdoms of this world? We are either submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ in our families, in our churches, in our political office, and so on, or we are regarded as his rebels. What happens to rebels? They're going to be destroyed and cast into the lake of fire. How can a loving God sentence people to burn in hell forever? Because God is both loving and holy. His holiness demands that sin be punished. You can either this morning, the 20th day of November, 2022, submit to the righteousness of Christ who went to hell for you on the cross and afterwards down into the grave. Or you can say, I don't need a savior. I'm a good person. If you die believing you're a good person, you are on your way to hell. And I'm saying that not simply to the congregation of Trinity Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Texarkana, Texas, but to the people who will listen to this message later this afternoon around the world. Submit to the righteousness of Christ. Kiss the Son. Embrace Him. Bow your knees and submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only of, as King of kings and Lord of lords, but as your King, as your Lord, as your Master, and also as your Savior. Because He says at the very end, Blessed, happy, are all who take refuge in Him. Have you taken refuge in him? I pray that you have. And may God bless us and pity us. May we pray. Lord, we see that the United States has been on a collision course of enmity towards you for over two generations. Lord, we are seeing the outworking of those horrible decisions 62 and 63. That's why our schools are in such trouble. That's why violence reigns in our land. That's why cities are not safe. That's why people go into bars devoted to perversion and shoot up and kill people. That's why people shoot people on the street. That's why we are seeing families ripped apart and we're seeing... Two generations of young men who've been raised without fathers and no authority in the home. Lord, have mercy on us. God, have mercy on us. O Lamb of God, you who take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us and grant us your peace, your shalom, your help and health. For the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.